If you would turn him once again to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. We are in part three of our Life in the Spirit series. And tonight we are going to be looking at the Holy Spirit's work in conforming us into the image of Jesus. And um, maybe you've seen an advertisement like this before, one that read something like, uh, wanted a partner with capital to develop a new promising business. Now, what's being said there is that this startup company who placed the ad, they have a concept for this business, but they're hampered by lack of funds to make it happen and to make it work, and so they need a partner. Well, in a similar way, in the Christian life, it doesn't take long before you realize that you are severely lacking in what is needed in order to really follow Christ and serve Christ. How many of you have discovered that, that you don't have it within yourself, you don't have the goods to really consistently follow the Lord? What we need is a partner. How many of you know you need a partner? Okay. It was Oswald Sanders who said this, the business of living a truly Christian life is too exacting in its requirements, too lofty in its ideals, for us to engage in it alone. We need a partner. We need a partner, though, who has adequate resources to help us do and be what Jesus is calling us to do and be. If you have a startup and somebody says, I'll I'll partner with you, and they don't have any resources, that doesn't help you, right? Well, the beautiful thing is this, is that, remember when Jesus was leaving his disciples, he said this to them. He says, I'm leaving, I need to go, I'm going to my father's house, but I'm not gonna leave you orphans. I'm gonna send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And don't you love that? That Jesus wasn't like, I, I'm, I'm going to just leave you here. I did my part. I died on the cross. I saved you. Now the rest is up to you. I'm so thankful he didn't say that. That would have been so discouraging. He says, no, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to bring my Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to come alongside of you. He's going to be living inside of your life, living in you and living through you. And let's consider tonight what Jesus said about this in John chapter 16. I'm going to be reading from verses 12 through 15. And Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Holy Spirit, of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, in these verses, Jesus is telling us three things about the the work of the Holy Spirit 
inside of our lives. And the first is this, that he has a guiding ministry. Notice Jesus says in verse 13 that he will guide you into all truth. And that word guide literally means to lead in the way. And it speaks, though, of more than just a knowledge. And I love this, that it's not just, you know, imparting information, but it's the, the application of that knowledge, that the Holy Spirit is there to help us take the word of God and minister to our hearts about how to put the word of God into practice and action in our lives. So he has a guiding ministry. Number two, he has a glorifying ministry. There in verse 14, Jesus said, this is what the Holy Spirit is gonna do. This is his aim, his goal, is to glorify me. Listen, the Holy Spirit, is his aim is not to point to himself. His aim is to point to Jesus. His aim is to draw us to Jesus. It's not to get us all worked up and all emotional and all focused on the Holy Spirit, but it's really to glorify Jesus and point us to Jesus, to make much of Jesus. So he has a guiding ministry, a, a glorifying ministry, and a declaring ministry. Jesus said there in verse 13, he will tell you of the things to come and he will take that which the the father has said and declare it to you. So he's gonna give us insight, we could say, even, you know, into prophetic events. You know, one of the things I'm really excited about this summer on on Wednesday nights, we're going to study, we're going to go through expositionally through the book of Revelation. And a lot of people, you know, they get all freaked out. They think Revelation is such a, a hard book in the Bible to understand. And it's really not. And we're going to look at it. We're going to go through it. And the Holy Spirit, he, he gives us insight into things to come. So he has this guiding ministry, this glorifying ministry, and this declaring ministry. And it's the second aspect of his glorifying ministry that I want us to consider tonight. You see, the Bible tells us that in the beginning, when God made man, that he made man in his image and in his likeness. But when man rebelled against God and sinned, The image was marred. The image, we could say, was broken. And Jesus, he left heaven and he came to this earth to redeem us and to restore that which was broken in our relationship with God. And so when a person turns from their sin and turns to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of them. And he begins this conforming work, this restoring work of of transforming us and bringing us back into the image of Jesus. And this might be a newsflash for some of you. But God's goal in your life, listen to me, God's goal in your life is not to make you a a better version of yourself. That's not his goal. He's not just trying to improve you and make you a better version of you. No, he tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that this is his goal. I call it God's end game, is that he wants to conform you into the image of Jesus. That he's seeking to make all of us more like Christ. And you know, if I'm honest, that's what I need. I don't need a better version of Rob Salvato because a better version of me is still broken. 
No, I, I need to be allowing him to work in my life to make me more like Jesus. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4, verse 13. He says that we would grow in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son. So this is part of what God's heart is, that we would be growing in our faith and in our understanding, our knowledge of Jesus, so that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete stature of Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That, listen, Christian maturity is really measured by one thing. Our maturity in the Lord, our growth in the Lord is measured by one thing, and it's this, how much like Jesus are we becoming? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Later on in that same chapter, Paul would put it this way, that the church is the body of Christ. That's what we are. But Jesus is the head of the body, and what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do is to help us grow into our head. Now, have you ever seen a little toddler whose head was way too big for its body? You ever seen that? My son was that way. Like, he just had this ginormous head, I think because he had this really big brain. My son's really, really smart. And... You know, when he was a little toddler, sometimes we like look at ourselves like, how does he hold that thing up? I mean, it was just like so huge, you know, so big. And he literally, his body had to grow into his head. And it did. His body grew into his head. Well, this is the kind of the idea that Paul is saying is that, that we, the Holy Spirit is working in us to grow us into our head, Jesus so that the body starts to fit with the head. And I'm sure you have been around Christians. Maybe it was, you know, some young Christians, or maybe it was some very legalistic Christians. And, and if you were honest, the body looked nothing like the head. Like, it was like, like I don't know about, I know they, they say they love Jesus, but man, they don't, they, they don't seem anything like him. Well, part of our growing, what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in conforming us in the image of Christ is he's wanting to, to grow us into the head, to transform us into the image of Jesus, to help us to fit into him, to resemble him that we might grow unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what maturity is. Now, this work that the Holy Spirit is doing is an internal work. It's important that we understand this. It's something that he's doing on the inside, in other words. It's a heart work. It's a work that he's doing on the inside of us that reveals itself on the outside. It reveals itself in our actions and in our attitudes. And this is what the Bible refers to as the new covenant. Did you know that you are a part of a new covenant in Christ? You know, there was the, the old covenant that God had set up with the people of Israel was based, basically, it was based on their outward performance. That God had said, if you follow my statutes and my laws, then I will bless you. 
And then if you follow my statutes and laws, then I will do great things for you and in you and through you. But the problem was man could not consistently follow and keep the old covenant. We failed. And later on, Paul the Apostle would give insight into the reality that 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 was really the purpose of the Old Covenant all along, as it was to reveal to us that we couldn't consistently keep it, that we were sinners and we needed a Savior, that that was the purpose of the Old Covenant. But God promised through the saving work of Jesus Christ that he would establish a new covenant. And I want to read to you, it'll be on the screen, how he describes it in two passages. The first is in Jeremiah 31. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, this new covenant that he was making with Israel, it applies to Israel anybody that puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says this, this new covenant, verse 32, that's not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So they didn't keep it, they broke it. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, that I will put my law in their minds. I'll put my word in their minds and write it on their heart. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember no and their sin I will remember no more. Now now this new covenant as it relates to Israel will have its ultimate fulfillment in the second coming of Christ. But we experience an aspect of this right now in Jesus, that we now can know God, that we can live in a relationship with God. I love the way God spoke about this new covenant through the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says this, And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I'm going to take away your hard heart towards me, and I'm going to put in a heart that that feels, a heart that is receptive. And then he says this, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is the work of the Spirit. It's an inside job. It's a new heart. It's a new spirit. So the Holy Spirit is doing this work inside of us. And as we get into the word of God, what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives is to etch the truths of God's word into the depths of our hearts. And when he starts to do that, And when we allow him to to move and work in our heart in that way, the Holy Spirit starts to change us on the inside. And that affects the way we live on the outside. Our priorities start to change. Our behavior starts to change. I mean, I've known people that that used to, they, they cuss like sailors. And then they got saved. And like within a week, they didn't cuss anymore. 
And it wasn't like they were trying really, really hard not to do that. It was something the Holy Spirit just did inside of them. It was a change that he did inside of their hearts without them really even trying. And so what is happening to us is this. The Holy Spirit inside of us is infusing us with the heart of Jesus with the mind of Jesus, with the love of Jesus. Paul put it this way in Romans 5, 5, that the love of Christ has been poured, or the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, here's here's the first thing that happens. We just get overwhelmed by the love of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing when that happens to you? That you just, I I remember... My dad, my dad was like, he was, a, he was a tough guy. He was a hard dude before he, he got saved. I never, ever saw my dad cry before he became a Christian. He was just hard exterior and, and just, you know, tough guy. But I would watch him sit in his chair that he liked to sit in, this old recliner, reading his Bible, and tears would be coming down his face. And I would be like, Dad, what's wrong? Are, are you okay? I mean, I was like blown away. I'm like, never seen my dad cry before. And he's like, oh, I'm fine. He goes, I'm, I'm just, I'm crying because I just can't believe God loves me so much. Just being overwhelmed by, by the love of God. That's the first thing that happens. The, the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts is just overwhelmed. But then that love that God has poured into us starts to affect the way that we treat others, the way we see others, the way we interact with others. And it's that love of God that then is being poured out of us. The love that's poured into us by the Holy Spirit is then being poured out of us. My point is this, the Holy Spirit is doing a work on the inside of us, seeking to conform us into the image of Jesus. But we have a part to play in this conforming work. And our part is this. It's learning. This is a part of the that we have to play in this transformation, this conforming, and it's learning this, how to respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings. How to respond to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. And I have two verses that I, I think describe how that happens. The first, it'll be on the screen, is in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Present yourself to God, he says, as a living sacrifice. He's talking there really about absolute surrender. It's coming to God on a daily basis and saying, Lord, I'm recognizing today that I exist for your glory, not mine. And so, Lord, I want you to be glorified in my life. I'm I'm saying, Lord, that like Jesus taught us to pray, not, not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Lord, I want you to be glorified in my life. The apostle James described it in this way. He said in verse 7 of chapter 4, therefore submit to God. That's the starting place. We submit to God. That's what being a living sacrifice is, is that we're submitted to God. But then he says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, a lot of people 
quote that verse the wrong way. They'll say, hey, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. That doesn't work if you don't submit to God first. (laughs) That's why it says submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's the key. The only strength and authority that you have to resist the devil is when you are submitted to God. That's that living sacrifice is that you are submitted to Jesus. You know, Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5, uh, Pastor Jamie's going to teach our, our study next Wednesday night, and he'll probably get into this when it talks there about walking in the Spirit. But it talks about how we're, we're to make a choice. Again, this is part of that submission, to walk in the Spirit. And it describes there in Galatians 5 how the flesh and the Spirit are at war with one another. How many of you experienced that? <laughs> That war going on inside of you. One guy described the war between the flesh and the spirit of like two dogs that he had just constantly fighting. And he says, well, well, which dog wins? And he goes, the one I feed the most. And I think there's a truth to that in the Christian life too. You know, what are we feeding? What are we, you know, are we feeding the flesh? Or are, we, are we feeding the, the spirits? So James says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then he says, draw near to God, and I love this promise, and he will draw near to, to you. Isn't that beautiful? Have you ever had, you don't need to raise your hand, but have you ever experienced this? I, I, I've experienced this. Somebody that you wanted to get close to, somebody that maybe you admired, somebody that you were like, you know, man, I want to go to lunch with that person. I want to get to know that person, you know, better, but they had no desire to get to know you. You know, you texted, you called, you reached out, and they just like ghosted you, you know. Isn't it awesome that God says, hey, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. You draw near to me. I'm waiting. I'm ready. I want to draw near to you. And then he says this, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. That's what a living sacrifice is. It's one that submits to God, that is seeking to draw near to God, that, Lord, I want to get on that. I'm going to humble myself. Because I want you to be glorified. And so James is picturing what Paul is talking about there in Romans chapter 12 of presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 13 that it's through the spirits that we put to death the deeds of our flesh. And that's as we obey, we respond to those promptings of the Holy Spirit. So Paul continued there and gives further insight in how the Holy Spirit transforms us. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And here's what's important. And do not be conformed to this world. John Phillips, in his commentary, put it this way. Don't let the world seek to squeeze you into its mold. Do you know the world has a mold it's trying to squeeze you into? A mindset, an ideology that it's seeking to squeeze us all into, that it wants us to fall. He says, don't do that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. How? He says this. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's what Paul's telling us about how this transformation takes place, is that there is a great correlation, there's a connection between how the Holy Spirit works in our life and that the Holy Spirit works in our life through the Word of God. He uses the Word of God to do that transformation process. But, 
Here's what I want you to catch. It's not just getting into the Word of God. I want you to hear me on this. It's not just getting into the Word of God for information's sake. It's not just getting into the Word of God to say, okay, I read my chapters today in the one-year Bible. It's not just getting into the Word of God to get insights. That's not how transformation happens. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. He says, But we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Notice, he says, this is when we, this is when transformation happens, is when we are seeking, we're getting into the word of God to behold the Lord. That we want to see him. That we want to see Jesus. It's not just studying to study, but it's studying to see Jesus. You know, Jesus in John chapter 5, he chided the religious leaders. He said this, you guys search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. And what he basically was saying, hey, you guys know the scriptures, but you're missing the main point. Because the scriptures are pointing you to me. But they missed that. Jesus said, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. Remember what John wrote? In the beginning was the word in John chapter 1. And the word, he said, created all things. And then he said this though. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the word? Jesus. And Jesus became flesh. He became human and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. That's what we we celebrate at Christmas time. It's the word becoming flesh. The word becoming personal and touchable and relatable. That's what transforms us. When we see Jesus in that way. So if you approach the word strictly from an intellectual, academic, or theological perspective, you might gain some good points. You, you might gain some good understanding. If you merely read the scriptures to get insights on theology or practical tips on parenting or tips on relationships, transformation's not going to happen. Transformation occurs when we study the word of God for the sake of seeing Jesus and touching Jesus and getting close to Jesus. Before I got into ministry, I worked at a hotel and I worked in this restaurant. And every morning, different couple, but same scenario, almost every day, there would be a guy sitting at a table at breakfast, his wife across from him, and he's got the paper. And he's got the paper up and he's looking at the paper and she's eating and he's, you know, eating and looking at his paper. And then you'd watch the wife. She would say something and he'd lower the paper and he'd answer her, put the paper back up, start reading some more. And she'd say something else, ask him another question. He'd lower the paper, 
What was happening there? Well, men, us guys, we can be blockheads sometimes, but we have a tendency to be so into information. That's what he's doing, information. I'm checking the sports, I'm checking the stocks, I'm checking you know, what's happening in, in the world. And what's she doing? She's seeking, she didn't have a newspaper. She's not looking, you know, she didn't have a book, she didn't have a newspaper, she didn't have her iPad out. No, she, they didn't have iPads back then. <laughs> but, uh, but she has none of that. She's just wanting intimacy, connection, communication. So she's asking him questions. She's trying to, to break through. She's trying to get him to put down the paper. Well, I suggest to you the same thing happens too often in a lot of believers' devotional lives is that they read the Word of God for information only. Or they read the Word just to simply get through their, their reading for that day, but they completely neglect the communication. The intimacy that God is so desiring that we would have with him through the word of God. And that's what Paul is seeing, saying. That's when the transformation happens is when we behold him. When we say, Lord, I'm reading this for one purpose. I want to know your heart. I want to I know your voice. I want to get closer to you. That's when transformation happens. And I want you to notice, Paul gives us some great insight here in verse 18. If you can put that back up on the, the screen. It is he likens the word to being like a mirror. And this is how this transformation happens. We're beholding, he says, as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. A mirror reflects what it sees. And the reflection that we see, so if the word of God is like a mirror, the reflection, though, that we are seeing is Jesus. You know, if me and Jason go stand in front of a a mirror, we're looking in the mirror, and it's showing me and Jason standing side by side. But when you look into the word of God, what it's showing you is you and Jesus standing side by side. And oftentimes, when we're standing there looking at ourselves in comparison to Jesus, if you're like me, you're like, man, I fall short. Lord, you got some work to do on me. But that's the role. That's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in our lives is to show us. Here's what I want to do in your heart, Rob. Here's what still needs to change. Here's what I'm seeking to transform in you, and that happens as we surrender to him. As we surrender to him, we open the door to the Holy Spirit to mold us and shape us and make us more like Jesus. And I'll close with this. In Mark chapter 3, we find Jesus in the synagogue one day. And there's a man there with a withered hand. It means his hand's all shriveled up. And it's the Sabbath, and, you know, the religious leaders are trying to see, is he going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? And to them, you know, that was the the wrong thing to to, to do, and that's a whole other study for another time. But I want you just to key in on what happens, because Jesus looks at this guy with this withered hand, And he says to him, stretch out your hand. Jesus was asking him to do something he couldn't do. 
His hand's all shriveled up. He can't stretch it out. He can't open it up. But Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus was asking him to do. Why would Jesus do that? Was he being insensitive? No, Jesus was seeking to illustrate a radical principle that we see in the New Testament. And this is related to our our being conformed to the image of Christ. This is related to our transformation. And the principle is this, is that God's commandments are our enablements. In other words, what God asks us to do as his followers He gives us, through the Holy Spirit, the power to carry that out. And that's how transformation takes place. You know what happened? That guy that day believed in what Jesus was saying. He didn't argue. He surrendered, and he stretched forth his hand. And his hand was made whole. Not before he stretched it out, but as he was stretching it out. And that's what happens to us. As we present ourselves as this living sacrifice to the Lord, we surrender to him, we humble ourselves before him, we put our lives on the altar before him, we're opening up the door for the Holy Spirit to then work in us, and he'll say, okay, Rob, here's what needs to change. You need to stretch out your hand, but Lord, I can't do that. I'm never going to be able to do that. No, no, no. With your commandment is the enablement. I'm going to follow through. And that's when the Holy Spirit meets us in that moment. So beautiful. So wonderful. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to work in us, to conform us, to teach us, to guide us, to draw us into intimacy with you. And Lord, I pray tonight as we discuss in our groups this evening, I pray, Lord, that it would be like iron sharpening iron, that our conversation would be that which would bring glory to you. And Lord, that you would help us in learning and just discussing in each other's lives what this looks like and how you seek to move and work We thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us orphans, but you've given us your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.